always depended on the kindness of strangers. <laughs> yes, we have, haven't we? It's the 15th anniversary of Bradblog.com. Welcome to it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA and environs. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Goldendale, Wa- uh, Washington on KVGD, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM950 KTNF. We stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day as well, just so you can't get away from us, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. All right, well, it looks like we need to follow up uh, quickly here today on a couple of stories from yesterday's program before we get to my guest today on what is officially now the 15th anniversary of the Brad blog today. Happy anniversary, Desi Doyen. Yes, happy anniversary to you, too. If that's right, if that's the right word, I, I have don't a know. happy birthday. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I was thinking about the happy part. I'm not <laughs> sure... Anyway, we will be joined shortly by uh, Brad Blog's longtime legal contributor, Ernie Canning, to discuss his new story on the ongoing progressive political revolution taking place right now. Yes, across the country and in Washington, D.C., and the new challenges from corporate lobbyists that uh, some of those revolutionaries are facing down now uh, a new class of progressive Congress members. Uh, are trying to do so. We will uh, talk to Ernie. We'll reminisce a bit, perhaps about some of where the Brad blog has traveled over these past 15 extraordinary years. It's incredible that not only are we still at it after all of these years, but that we are now heard every day on dozens of radio stations uh, around the country and the globe. And frankly, all thanks and only thanks to those of you who stopped by to support our work at bradblog.com slash donate. Uh, many in the uh, in that freshman class of Congress members got there without any corporate support or donations. That is no easy feat, and I can tell you that firsthand. 
because uh, that's exactly what we've had to do here for 15 years. Uh, thanks to those of you who uh, have helped us by uh, stopping by to donate at bradblog.com. Yes, thank you. Uh, more on all of that with Ernie and Desi in a bit, and also a uh, Green News report later on, if time allows. But as a bunch of stuff broke not long after we got off air yesterday and, of course, into today, I want to follow up very quickly on a couple of those stories today. Uh, Desi Doyen, I loved the way Talking Points Memo headlined their breaking news item on this last night. Oh, yeah? Trump bends to Pelosi's will. Ooh, ow. Accepts postponement of the State of the Union. Uh, at the end of a dramatic day of uh, symbolic assertions of power and mastery between President Donald Trump and Speaker Nancy Pelosi, they write, Trump bent to Pelosi's will and agreed to delay the annual State of the Union address until the month long until after the month long government shutdown concludes and yes thus demonstrating yet again that bullies like Donald Trump will in fact fold like one of his own cheap ill-fitting suits if you actually bother to stand up to the guy as Pelosi did here in this instance Trump appears to have conceded defeat in that standoff. Uh, he posted two late evening tweets on Wednesday night following a day of letters back and forth between Trump and the Democratic House Speaker, wherein he said he was definitely going to show up next Tuesday and deliver a State of the Union before a joint session of Congress. And then she said, no, no, you're not. Not until and unless you reopen the federal government while he pretended he might use another venue to deliver the address, he ultimately conceded, OK, I won't. I'll, I'll just wait until the government is reopened. You can't roll over for this guy. And I think that Nancy Pelosi, today she said she was uh, very happy to finally move on from the matter. I'm glad we could get that off the table because I know it was a source of many questions. It is so unimportant in the lives of the American people in terms of especially those who are victims of the shutdown, hostages to the president's applause line in a campaign speech. Um, thank goodness we put that matter to rest and then we can get on to the subject at hand. Open up government so that we can negotiate how best to protect our borders. Oh, there's a good idea. Open the government. Today, after uh, Pelosi's House has passed about 10 different bills to reopen the government, including one that Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate had passed unanimously before Christmas, uh, before Trump changed his mind and decided to demand this $5.7 billion for a southern border wall, finally on Thursday, Mitch McConnell allowed two versions of a bill to open the government to be voted on in the Senate. Thoughtful, eh? One uh, by Republicans included that $5.7 billion for the wall. The other by Democrats, which, would have, which did not include that money, but would have temporarily reopened the government until February 8. So hundreds of thousands of federal workers could finally be paid, at least, in that interim. Unfortunately, both of those bills failed to get the 60 votes needed uh, to overcome a filibuster in the Senate. Nonetheless, in an embarrassment to Trump, which might weaken his bargaining position here, uh, the Democratic proposal actually got two more votes than the Republican one did. <laughs> 
Uh, there were six Republicans who uh, defected uh, to vote for the Democratic bill. But they both failed. Uh, meanwhile, Senate negotiations were said to be continuing right after those failed votes. And, uh, well, hey, at least McConnell allowed them to vote at all, finally. Uh, even though, uh, you know, a majority here had voted to reopen the government. But it takes more than a majority in the U.S. Senate, apparently. Uh, that, as the shutdown reaches its second payday that federal workers will not receive on Friday... At the same time, federal aviation unions released a dire warning on Wednesday in a joint statement saying that uh, this is an unprecedented situation and therefore they cannot predict, quote, the point at which the entire system will break. That's the aviation system we're talking about. The statement says we cannot even calculate the level of risk currently at play. They warned that the staffing was already at a 30-year low before the uh, unpaid employees were forced to show up to work overtime uh, during this shutdown. The situation, they write, is changing at a rapid pace. As union leaders, we find it unconscionable that aviation professionals are being asked to work without pay and in air safety and in an air safety environment that is deteriorating by the day. To avoid, disrupt, to avoid disruption to our aviation system, we urge Congress and the White House to take all necessary steps to end this shutdown immediately. Of course, it's not just workers, but their families who are paying a, a huge price for Trump's obnoxious temper tantrum. The Albuquerque Journal had a story uh, that, uh, Desi Doyen, you brought to my attention about this 10-year-old girl who broke her wrist. In, uh, well, a sledding, I was, she was home for a school day in uh, Gainesville, Virginia. Snow a, a, a snow day, thank you. Uh, her dad works uh, in the Department of Homeland Security in the Cybersecurity Division. He's considered an essential employee, so he still goes to work. But they had sat the kids down to explain that... Uh, they were going to have to scale back because dad wasn't getting paid right now. And so Ava went out on this school a snow day to have fun on a sled. She ended up breaking her wrist, but she didn't tell anyone for like a week. Right. Because she was so sad and so scared. She thought her family could not afford medical treatment for her, so she told no one and suffered in silence till she finally couldn't stand it anymore. And she finally told her grandmother, who took her to the emergency room. So then you get... A little 10-year-old kid yeah, I know. with the burden on her own shoulders. Sorry. Yeah, no, I. I it's... And so yeah, you hear stories like that, and then you get jerks like a commerce secretary and apparently crypt keeper Wilbur Ross, uh, who they wheeled out to a, onto a show on CNBC today to tell Americans uh, those 800,000 federal workers and their families and the federal government contractors, by the way, who will never get paid for for this, for this more than month long shutdown. He, Ross said, oh, it's not all that bad. Why are they whining? He said it's only like a point third of a percentage of the GDP, so no big deal. CNBC's Andrew Ross Sorkin said, uh, well, maybe it is uh, more than the hyperbole you're painting it as. Uh, Sorkin uh, said to Wilbur Ross. Mr. Secretary, there are reports that there are some federal workers who are going to homeless shelters 
to get food. Well, I know they are, and I don't really quite understand why, because they, the obligations that they would undertake, say a borrowing from a bank or a credit union, are in effect federally guaranteed. So the 30 days of pay that some people will be out, there's no real reason why they shouldn't be able to get a loan against it. A loan. They should take out a loan. Go get a loan. Go yeah. pay for it on your credit card with 20% interest. Right. When you get paid back, they're not going to pay back the interest that you had to pay on that credit card or on that loan. That's like getting a 20% pay cut for that. And, and, and a lot of these people are already uh, paying off loans, school loans, credit card debt. Home so you got mortgages. the Commerce yeah. Secretary suggesting, hey, go take out another line of credit to pay off your other line of credit. The billionaire commerce secretary telling people oh just go get some more money they'll give it to you that's kind of appalling uh <laughs> let them eat cake okay uh the other point uh that i i don't have time for because i gotta get to ernie uh is that michael cohen who said he was not going to testify because of the threats from the president and the president's lawyer rudy giuliani against his family that he was not going to testify on february 7 before the house intelligence and uh, and oversight committees. Well, the chairs of the House Intelligence and Oversight Committee sent uh, put out a statement saying not appearing before Congress was never an option. They note they understand the threats and they uh, from the president, which they describe as a federal crime. But that means uh, that does not mean Cohn is is allowed to not come and testify. So he may be subpoenaed if he doesn't show up willingly. Cohen has now also been subpoenaed by the Senate Intelligence Committee to appear next month as well. That happened today. So it's unclear what's going to happen with Michael Cohen next month in the uh, days before he reports to prison for his three-year sentence after pleading guilty to lying, among other things, lying to Congress about Trump's work to build a condo in Moscow during the 2016 presidential election and hush money payoffs, a conspiracy directed, he says, by Donald Trump to two women who he uh, Trump had allegedly had an affair uh, affairs with. So this administration seems to be crumbling in various ways before our eyes. And we have seen a lot of dirty stuff from administrations over these past 15 years. But nothing like this. That, as a new class of progressive freshmen in Congress, are writing what some call a political revolution to the future, looking towards what must happen in this nation when and if this current American nightmare ends. Some of those revolutionary looks, both forward and back, with Ernie Canning and Desi Doyen right after this on the 15th anniversary of a little website named bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves. You're the only one that keeps us here. Thank you. You say you want a revolution. Well, you know. Well, you know. We all want to change the Welcome back to the Bradcast on the 15th anniversary of bradblog.com, which is frankly incredible to me in a number of ways, 
both good and bad. Uh, that said, for more years now than I can count, attorney Ernest A. Canning has been a Bradblog.com legal contributor, offering analysis on all manner of legal issues and political battles and controversies. He's also a political analyst, a Vietnam vet, and during the 2016 presidential campaign, and maybe even during the 2020 presidential campaign, we'll see, uh, he served as a senior advisor to vetsforbernie.org. During the 2016 cycle, he wrote about the political revolution that then-candidate Bernie Sanders had been calling for and the need for candidates to eschew corporate donations and somehow overcome what he cites uh, Noam Chomsky as describing as the democracy deficit, the difference between what voters actually believe and want versus what they are presented with by candidates and paid corporate media propaganda. As Ernie details in an essay this week at Bradblog.com, headlined Political Revolution Step 2, Challenging the Insidious Reach of Corporate Lobbyists, a number of freshman Congress members were, in fact, able to overcome the democracy deficit in the 2018 midterms. Folks like New York's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other progressives by avoiding corporate campaign contributions and sticking hard to the call for very popular progressive policies and ideals. Things like Medicare for all, free college tuition and a Green New Deal. Those candidates overcame the sort of the first step of the political uh, revolution, the corporate challenges they had to overcome to win office, only to find a new corporate challenge waiting for them once they arrived in Washington, D.C. Here to give us a quick teaser about that article and on today's 15th anniversary of the Brad blog to help us celebrate, if that's the right word, is Ernest A. Canning. Great to have you back on the broadcast, my friend. My pleasure, Brad. We'll, we'll get to, I want to talk about uh, Brad Blog 15 in a second, but you argue in your article at bradblog.com this week that folks like Ocasio-Cortez in New York, Ayanna Presley in Massachusetts, and other progressive progressives have proven that it is possible to win office without corporate funding, but that perhaps an even greater obstacle awaits for folks like them once they get to Washington, D.C., yeah, well, what happened in, in this instance, and it, it's an eye-opener, um, actually not just for them, but for the country as a whole, because they, they're, they're so good. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Rashida Tlaib, a whole bunch of them are, are mm -hmm. really good at exposing what's taking place inside the halls of Congress. And the first thing that happened when they arrived in December of last year was that the newly elected members had to attend a, a three-day, uh, it's called a, quoted, bipartisan orientation program, quote, which would probably better be labeled as a corporate indoctrination program. Um, what happened was Ocasio started tweeting that uh, everybody running the program were either lobbyists or CEOs. They had four CEOs there. They had zero people from labor, no activists, community leaders, that sort of thing. And among the people that Tlaib tweeted about was uh, Gary uh, Cohn, the, the former Goldman Sachs CEO who had served as Trump's uh, chief economic advisor mm -hmm. from 2017 to 2018, yeah. and he t he tells them boldly, you guys are over your heads, you don't know how the game is played, and, and Tlaib tweets, 
no, Gary, you don't know what's coming, uh, a revolutionary Congress that puts people before profit. So in the article, I talk about two basic things. One is the inside game, which is being played by the corporate uh, uh, lobbyists operating through people like the uh, uh, Blue Dog Coalition to try and pressure corporate-friendly policies like the PAYGO rule. And then when they were able to actually, you know, they kept it in in what's called the rules package, Mm -hmm. but uh, the progressives went along with the PAYGO rule only because the Democratic leadership said, well, we'll we'll waive it uh, if, if, if need be, if you have something like the Green New Deal that that, you know, you don't have to come up with uh, some type of uh, spending cut elsewhere in order to justify it. And, and so... Uh, yeah, and now, now I was yeah, going to, just to just clarify, uh, pay-go or pay-as-you-go is sort of a, uh, a policy, a leftover policy that Democrats seem to follow a lot more than Republicans do, where, you know, they will not institute any new spending unless they can find uh, either increases in revenue or uh, spending offsets elsewhere, uh, something that, I, you know, I think they like to do to appeal to some imaginary uh, conservative base uh, or at least to their conservative critics who say, oh, you know, Democrats, all they want to do is tax and spend. Well, in fact, the debt and the deficit continue to go up under Republican uh, administrations much more than they do under Democratic administrations. But what ends up happening is Democrats end up tying their own hands by saying, hey, we can't do these big projects, you know, unless we can somehow find the money to offset them. And uh, as as you note, this uh, new class of freshmen is saying, well, wait a minute, this is crazy. We were elected for these certain things that we cannot do if our hands are tied this way. And the question is, Ernie, with rules like PAYGO, with the influence of these uh, corporate lobbyists who are presented to folks like Ocasio-Cortez and Tlaib and the others, will that political revolution that got them there be able to continue in the face of those kind of challenges? Who, Who wins this fight, I guess, over the next two years? Well, to me, it looks like, if you mean wins the fight in terms of, of legislation actually going past the House into the Senate and passing there, no, but the legislation could pass in the House, and I think they should. No, I just uh, mean the direction. Who wins? who wins in the direction of where the Democratic Party is uh, moving? Is it, Will it be the Ocasio-Cortezes, or will it be the corporate lobbyists who want to keep uh, who want to tie their hands? Well, I think that the, that the progressives who outnumber the Blue Dogs substantially, the Congressional Progressive Mm -hmm. Caucus, uh, are actually winning the battle both inside, but it's also important to to, uh, win the battle outside. And that was the other part of this that I covered, which Mm -hmm. is the outside spin, where what happens is uh, corporate media, uh, for example, uh, uh, Hill TV, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, hosted by Crystal Ball and Buck Sexton, has this woman on named Kristen Hahn, and they describe her as a... Democratic uh, strategist. Well, mm-hmm. she's not a democratic strategist. She's a, she's a, a corporate lobbyist. She she, she basically a, a, had a career in corporate PR. So mm-hmm. what she does, where Cohen says you you know lays out what the rules of the game are, she goes on TV and says because the Progressive Caucus had gone along with the, with the pago in the rules, she says well that just shows that. Uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez is going to be an ineffective legislature, which is not true at all, because 
the uh, Progressive Caucus, uh, uh, I think it's uh, Jayapal uh, is the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Pramil Jayapal and mm-hmm. Mark uh, Pocan, after they were convinced that the payroll rule could be waived for their projects, they introduced a provisions to overturn the, the Paygo Act of 2010, which is already in legislation, which they thought was more important. And both Ocasio-Cortez and Ro Khanna, who had been opposing the rule, uh, have co-sponsored the bill. So, so actually, it's a tactical maneuver, which was being painted in the corporate media as being a loss for Ocasio-Cortez and, and Ro Khanna. And, and it's not not true at all. And that was, again, from someone who uh, the media was happy to describe as a Democratic strategist, but in fact, they were a a lobbyist, maybe a Democratic exactly. lobbyist. I, You know, I don't know, but a lobbyist nonetheless. And uh, those folks are going to have a lot to overcome that has been built into the uh, into the foundation of D.C. now for so many years. Very quickly, Ernie, can this a political revolution that brought those Congress members uh, to D.C. in 2018 can and will that continue into the 2020 presidential election? Uh, I think, for example, New York's uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, I think, has said that she would not accept corporate donations during her uh, uh, run for president. Uh, is that actually feasible for a presidential candidate to run again and win the nomination and continue to not accept corporate donations all the way uh, all the way through November of 2020. I think it's quite feasible, although I don't think Gillibrand is really a genuine progressive, and I'm surprised that she actually said that because she's had extensive ties to uh, uh, Wall Street donations in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that I think is most important is that it's a matter of finding ways to go. Th- through that with the you know the democracy deficit is to is to avoid issues and marginalize the underlying population mm-hmm. and the way that progressives succeed and it, it and I, I'm not just looking at the 2020 election I think Democrats need to progressive Democrats need to look at uh, politics as a long-term thing and not just the president but every office um, the thing is that the, the policies they support mm-hmm. are immensely popular. Like uh, you talked about the Green New Deal, 81% of the electorate support that. 70% uh, support uh, Medicare for all. Uh, 82% of uh, Americans want the federal government to negotiate lower prescription drug prices. Uh, and the you know, Ocasio-Cortez has come up with a top marginal tax rate of, uh, of 70% on incomes over uh, 10 mm-hmm. million. 59% of Americans want that too. So it's not just that these these policies are substantively so superior, it's that they're very popular, and what you have to do is break through the corporate nonsense so that people link the candidates to the policy. And so uh, that's where I think Bernie Sanders' uh, 2016 campaign has been so successful is it's changed the dialogue within the Democratic Party. And I will uh, point folks to your uh, article, Political Revolution Step 2, Challenging the Insidious Reach of Corporate Lobbyists uh, at uh, bradblog.com this week, because there's a lot to dig into there. Uh, but Mr. Canning, uh, since you are here and uh, and Desi's here, and well, yes, I am. I guess I'm here. Uh, I I wanted to, to to pause for a moment with everything that's going on. Uh, to a Ernie, uh, thank you for your years of service at the Brad Blog and here on the Bradcast as as we uh, have reached our 15 year milestone today. 
for good or bad. Uh, and and just I, I sort of wanted to get some thoughts from both of you uh, on on where we have where we have been, where we may still have to go in the future. Uh, we have covered so much over the years. I, I was you know sort of sitting down and, and looking back on some of this because I wanted to talk a little bit about it. But we've covered so much over the years, both at the blog and here on the show. You know. Who knew 15 years ago that we would be doing a daily radio show over dozens of stations around the country and the world? And yes, uh, like those congressional freshmen, we've done it all without corporate uh, support or sponsorship or donations, uh, relying almost entirely on small donations from readers and listeners. Thank you to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. So I thought it would be nice to at least take a minute or two here to get some thoughts from each of you. Let me start with Ernie. Uh, any particular, I don't want to say favorites, because that may not be the way to describe some of the things we've covered at Brad Blog. But uh, is there any particular stories or ideas or thoughts that jump out to you over the past 15 years that you think uh, may be worth noting and or re-remembering today? Well, let me start out by thanking both you and Des for the fabulous work you guys have done over the last 15 years, especially in the realm of uh, election integrity and the Green News Report. Uh, and I think one of the things that I've noted, because, you know, I obviously was listening to you or, or following you long mm -hmm. before I, I started writing for you, particularly because I was active and I'm now retired with as far as the practice of law, mm -hmm. is that... Uh, Academics tend to shy away when they hear the word blog, but in fact, uh, when it comes to election integrity, and I, I, you know, I, I don't feel shy about saying this uh, because I know I'm not the only one, uh, you, Brad, have been the Paul Revere of the election integrity movement in terms of exposing the threat to democracy posed by electronic voting systems and their vendors, and that uh, if people go into the brag blog, they will find in those 15 years probably the nation's best, or if not one of the best repositories of articles that have been authored not only by journalists and election integrity advocates, but many computer scientists on those issues. And it's an important issue. I happened to notice just the other day that uh, that there was something in, I think it was the, the, the New Yorker, that they, mm -hmm. they finally caught on to that threat. And I'm going, yeah, that's great. Brad's been talking about it for 15 years now, and they're finally realizing. Yes. So, so that's one of the, the key areas. It, yeah, it is. It, it is kind of uh, it's it's both satisfying and maddening. I think uh, you know, looking back and seeing things like I know the New Yorker story that you're talking about today, and it was a very good uh, story this week. And it talked about uh, lobbyists for the voting machine companies and the need for hand-marked paper ballots. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, 10, 15 years ago when we were talking about this stuff, uh, people said, oh, you're crazy. You're a blog. Why should we listen to you? You're a conspiracy I'm theorist. I'm a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> yeah. And, and now it's being heard yeah. in the Senate, in hearings and across the country as people are now finally confronting the actual real threat of, of uh, electronic voting machine security. And Ernie, I, to be honest, I don't even know how I, I was just realizing this. I'm not sure how you got here, Ernie. How, how did you <laughs> how did you start writing at uh, bradblog.com? It was so long ago, I have now forgotten how the hell you showed up. <laughs> well, what happened was, you know, I've been following you for some time, and then I sent you an email uh, having to do with the count 
or the, the, the recount, I guess you'd call it, but the hand count, it mm-hmm. actually took place uh, between uh, uh, Norm Coleman and, uh, oh, God. Al, Al Franken. Yeah, Al Franken. Yeah, Al Franken. 2006. Right. And, and 2006. so I sent you a letter Eight. on that, and then I ended up writing a couple of articles, one of which was, I think it was titled something like, uh, Franken isn't leading, he won, all the votes have been counted, and everybody in the media, even Amy Goodman, who I, I admire so much, got it wrong and was, was reporting that he was still leading and there were votes to be counted, when in fact they had all been counted, and the court had made it clear that, that uh, Franken had won and he should have been seated. So that's how I first got involved with these folks back then. The other area that I thought it was profound if you remember, we did extensive coverage during the 2009 health care debate that led to ultimately to the uh, passage of the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. And at the time, if you recall, um, the critical thing that was being sold to us was, well, you know, we get this incremental change then, and then it'll eventually get to where you are. And uh, you had, if you recall, there was... Uh, President Obama met privately with the CEOs of the in the Oval Office with the CEOs of the health insurance industries and the pharmaceutical industries. Yep. Single payer advocates were shut out. The bill was drafted in the office of Senator Max Baucus, a Democratic senator, uh, by a WellPoint uh, vice president, mm-hmm. uh, and it was it really was essentially, although it reduced the number of people who were uninsured, it was essentially an insurance industry. Uh, an insurance industry uh, subsidy scheme, which sure. became very expensive, and even though they, you know, it covered a lot more people because there were 47 million people uninsured then, and there, there, it was reduced to I think under 30 mm-hmm. million. Although I understand it's going back up again, uh, and, and at that time, you know, 45,000 Americans were dying each year. But what we, with the only real reform would have been single-payer medical for all, or whether you, or you model it under the, the British uh, uh, National Health Service with the government-owned system. That would have been the only real reform because it, it's the only reform in which uh, you take out the unnecessary middleman, which makes health care mm-hmm. so much more expensive in the United States. Well, I came to an epiphany about what I, I call incrementalism, which is, is the justification that the corporate Democrats tend to try and tell you I think that incrementalism is the place where much-needed, vastly superior, and immensely popular progressive ideas go to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- you know, that is true, and, and it's something that, uh, you know, we continue to fight when it comes to health care, uh, certainly when it comes to the environment, certainly on the voting systems. And, you know, ultimately, Ernie, as we saw with the Affordable Care Act, sometimes it might be the incrementalist policy that ends up getting passed. And, you know, in the case of uh, the ACA, Obamacare, it has, in fact, brought, you know, millions more Americans at least access to health care. But that's for the, you know, the, the, the policy makers at the end. That's for the compromises with the other parties and stuff. I see no reason why folks like you and me, advocates, journalists, you know, can't call for the things that are needed. Let other people, uh, you know, compromise uh, with themselves. Uh, if if folks like you and I, as as we did during the Obamacare fight, we you know called for single payer public option. We need to do that. Progressives need to do that. Uh, leave the compromises to the uh, you know to the to the conference committee between the the two here's, houses here's when these where things I are being passed. I disagree with that, Brad. Yeah. yeah. 
and that is that I believe, and particularly with what we're seeing, these new freshmen coming in, and they're mm-hmm. not going to be looking to compromise. I don't think they should. Right. Now, if you look at politics from only right now, yes, there's no way that you're probably going to get in the next two years, as long as the Republicans control the Senate, there's no way you're going to get a Green New Deal. But if, you, if the House, which is really controlled by progressives right now, if the House were to pass Medicare for All, uh, the various things we listed that are immensely mm-hmm. popular, and they passed uh, the Green New Deal, and they and had the details, so you could see where the people could see exactly what they're going to save. What you're doing is you're framing the issue for the next election, so that when people go to 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 vote the next time around, instead of being blocked by the democracy deficit, they're saying, "Hey, look, if I vote Democratic, I'm going to get the Green New Deal. I'm going to get Medicare for All. But if I vote for Republicans," We're going to get oligarchy. Well, I think it's really clear. Yeah, no, I actually think uh, we're we're discussing we're we're arguing the same thing here, and which is that you know don't negotiate with yourselves, don't compromise with yourself, call for what is right. No matter what others are saying, no matter what others in the media have been saying, uh, you know, no matter how many names they call you for doing so, uh, that's what we've been trying to do for so many years at Bradblog.com. Des, let me get, uh, because I have some thoughts I want to share here too, but let me get some thoughts from you very quickly, uh, if you have any, uh, looking back on 15 years. Of course I do. Uh, No, I was just going to jump in and agree with both of you as far as how important it is for Democrats and progressives not to negotiate with themselves to actually put forth the policy that you want and then let Republicans try to break away from that, you know, to set Mm -hmm. the agenda rather than react to Republicans' idea of what the agenda should be. And, And if you flesh it out and you talk about it now and as Ernie suggests you you put forward and pass these major policies mm-hmm. then it gives the public time to understand what it is to flesh out the policy to talk about it and it also forces the corporate media to pay attention to it and I think that that is a, goes a long way to helping the public understand what the hell these things actually are and what they mean and and how we can actually achieve these things it helps to break like Ernie said earlier it helps to break through the corporate nonsense mm-hmm. of which there there is a lot. And uh, there are stories uh, that oh, yes. we have broken through the corporate nonsense oh, and the corporate media. Okay, so my favorite one is when you got an actual Diebold voting machine from a whistleblower and <laughs> you got that to a Princeton University researcher who was able to then hack it. And that was, as to my knowledge, yeah. the first one. You were the one that broke through yeah. on that proprietary electronic voting machine systems no one's allowed to look at it. it well you got one it, yeah it was the first uh first such instance of an independent uh, forensic analysis of one of those machines and it is still cited to this day oh, yeah. uh, when when talking about because but guess what those are the same exact machines they are still using in the state of georgia uh, to vote, uh, same unverifiable touchscreen systems, hackable, everything else. And my other favorite example yeah. of breaking through the corporate nonsense is when you exposed that propagandist James O'Keefe mm. and his fake porn star <laughs> outfit that he was wearing, that, that stupid pimp outfit, pimp outfit yeah. that he appeared on Fox <laughs> News as wearing and implied that that's what he was wearing when he went into the Acorn offices to uh, to expose, as he put it, in his deceptively edited videos that Acorn was 
somehow trying to commit the fraud. And of course, you know, the New York Times and all the other major media outlets covered it as if he walked in dressed yep. as a pimp when he did not. And you actually were the one that looked at the video, saw that he was not dressed as a pimp when he went into the offices and and uh, videotaped these people without their consent, then deceptively edit, edited it. And you were the one that forced the New York Times to finally correct the record after how many years? Yeah, uh, well, it was dozens of stories that they had to correct. And we weren't able to make that you know, get that done in time to save Acorn. They were eventually forced out of business because of this propaganda scheme that was not just run on Fox News. It was run on the, you know, Every the regular network. corporate media, including, yes, the New York Times, who played along with this stuff. Uh, there's there's one story that I, I want to try to get to. Do I have some? Let me uh, okay. try to uh, make time for this here. We've covered, and I'll, I'll try to link to some of these, of course. Uh, we forced the George W. Bush White House to restore terabytes of documents and video to the White House website just before the 2004 election that they had scrubbed because it made them look bad. Of course, a lot of folks know us from the Clint Curtis story, the oh, computer yeah. programmer in Florida who was says he was asked to create election fraud software by a sitting congressman. Uh, we proved Ann Coulter is a voter fraud uh, champion who has uh, committed voter fraud in, in Florida. For sure. We have the documents uh, and maybe even in um, Connecticut as well. You mentioned the Diebold stuff. Uh, we've revealed uh, the audio from Chris Christie's his secret speech at the Koch brothers retreat in 2010 in Colorado. We uh, helped wife beating Alabama federal judge Mark Fuller. Eventually, uh, he was forced to resign from some of the stuff we exposed. But one of the stories that jumped out at me, I want to play some of the audio from this. Uh, Alan Breslauer, he did some reporting for us back in the day at bradblog.com. He went on to work for an L.A. County supervisor, I think. But uh, he was at a conference on voting held out here in L.A. in 2007 by a Latino group, and it featured an appearance by a guy named John Tanner, who was then the chief of George W. Bush's DOJ Civil Rights Division voting unit. Do you remember this story, uh, Ernie? I think it might have been before you started uh, writing with us no but i do remember the story yeah he was uh this was back when the bush administration was gaming uh, the voting rights act uh to allow then new gop photo id voting restriction laws in georgia it's always georgia it all comes back to georgia um anyway at the time he was asked about approving this law despite the fact that career professionals at the DOJ had said no, it would violate the rights of uh, minorities. And nonetheless, they approved that law anyway. Uh, and so at this conference in L.A., Tanner explained the reasons why he says he did it, and Breslauer captured it in what became a huge story at Bradblog.com at the time. It eventually resulted in congressional hearings, an apology. Here's what we captured John Tanner saying at the time, first published at bradblog.com back in October 2007 when he claimed that minorities were not affected as much as elderly people were by this photo ID law. So therefore, it was not a reason to block the law under the minority voting rights protections of the uh, Voting Rights Act at the time. Of course, that also ties in to the racial aspect because our society is such that minorities don't become elderly the way white people do. They die first. 
And that makes it okay. <laughs> Remember that, Ernie? Minorities uh, d- don't become elderly. They die first. Yes. It's, 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 oh, oh, by the way, you, you rung a bell. I'm trying to think. Tony Anchundo. Oh. Uh, maybe briefly mention him. <laughs> right. Tony Anchundo, the guy who said we need to trust uh, uh, the, the, the papers that are printed out by these voting yeah, systems. Yeah, he, he was the guy that was yeah. bringing, bringing in the... Uh, touchscreen machines yep. into Monterey County, California, yeah. and told you you had to trust the, your voting officials. And then uh, was it about six months later, he, he, uh, he was, was charged indicted. with like 42 felonies or yeah, indicted well, uh, and tried. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like 40 counts uh, after saying you have to trust to a certain extent, you have to trust your elections officials and then he went on to demonstrate why you don't trust them uh let me play just one more piece on that uh john tanner before i let you go ernie uh this was again breaking through the uh, corporate media in this case with that audio that was uh picked up by well by everyone and led to congressional hearings here's a little bit of uh, npr's coverage of the fallout from that bradblog.com story in 2007 From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Robert Siegel. An apology today from the head of the Justice Department's voting section did not appease his critics. John Tanner apologized for claiming that minorities aren't hurt by ID requirements as much as other voters because they, quote, tend to die young. NPR's Pam Fester is covering the House subcommittee hearing. Tanner made his remarks earlier this month in a discussion about the Justice Department's 2005 support of a Georgia voter ID law. He told a Latino group in California that the lack of ID is primarily a problem for the elderly, and that meant it has less impact on minorities, because, quote, minorities don't become elderly the way white people do. They die first. Today, Tanner had this to say to a House Judiciary Subcommittee. I have apologized to the National Latino Congresso for comments I made about the impact of voter identification laws on elderly and minority voters. My explanation of the data came across in a hurtful way, which I deeply regret. But lawmakers who have a long list of concerns about the Justice Department's enforcement of voting laws weren't about to let Tanner off so easily. Alabama Democrat Archer Davis questioned Tanner's use of statistics to justify a policy that ran counter to the advice of several career Justice Department attorneys. If you are basing your conclusions on stereotypes rather than facts, then it suggests to some of us that someone else can do this job better than you can. And indeed, voting rights groups and several Democrats, including presidential candidate Barack Obama, have called for Tanner to resign. They say his actions are more evidence that the Justice Department has become politicized under President Bush, although Republicans counter that it's the Democrats who are politicizing the controversy. Political uh, presidential candidate Barack Obama at the time <laughs> jumped into that one. Oh, yes. Uh, so anyway, that was uh, based on a report from 2007 NPR. Uh, eventually, John Tanner was moved out of that role. You know, I uh, had yeah, two, go ahead. two others really quick. Just okay, two quick. other really quick ones was um, that your, your dogged support 
for for justice for Don Siegelman, mm. former governor of Alabama. That's yeah. something worth looking up for people who don't know that story. And also just want to thank yeah, you for absolutely. encouraging me to do the Green News Report and stop haranguing you about uh, covering environmental issues. And you said, <laughs> go do it yourself. So so we do. Aren't you sorry you did now? Aren't <laughs> no. you sorry? You're going on 10 years of the Green News Report. I think, Ernie, you've been at uh, Bradblog.com for 10 years. So I want to thank both of you uh, for your uh, extraordinary uh, support over the years and your extraordinary work over the years. Boy, it's been a long time. And of course, um, yeah, go ahead. Real quick irony. Yeah. Max Bacchus, Bacchus, who was the one that pushed through the ACA. Yep. Well, now that he's not in Congress anymore, he supports Medicare for all. Of course, of course. You know, we're always proved right. Sometimes it takes 10 or 15 years or apparently more. Uh, but when you got the facts, when they're on your side, uh, eventually the rest of the world will figure it out. Ernie Canning, I got to get out. I'm going to point folks, of course, to your article at bradblog.com. Uh, and yes, does you I, had a thought? Uh, one quick thought. Quick. I want to thank everybody who has uh, logged on to Brad blog.com who listens to the broadcast who listens to the green news report who who spread the word to help us get these uh, in, this information out to people and who have supported the brad blog well said okay thank you thank you ernie canning follow him on the twitters at can for ing that's c-a-n-n the number four i-n-g ernie we'll talk to you again soon thanks brad thank you Okay, as we do all the time over these past 15 years, <laughs> running late. So quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, you say 10 years coming up, 10-year anniversary for, for the, the Green, Green News, News Report. Report. Yeah, Very up. cool. Also, on today's 15th anniversary of bradblog.com, I want to... Uh, Send out my thanks to uh, also to uh, P. Diddy, otherwise known as Perry Dorrell of uh, Brains and uh, the Brains and Eggs blog. He does our Sunday tunes each week. Of course, to Alan Breslauer, I mentioned in the past segment, and uh, so many other of the folks who have guest blogged at bradblog.com over the years, dozens and dozens and dozens, uh, including our, our old friend, the late, great John Gideon, who... Yes for years had brought us his daily voting news compilation each day uh, that has since been taken over following his death by uh, verifiedvoting.org. But uh, so many people to thank for 15 years. And of course, to all of you who support our work at bradblog.com slash donate. That said, it is time for our latest 
Green News Report. It's like an almost astronomical amount of water that this is delivering from high on the inland ice sheet down into the sea. Greenland ice melt is reaching a tipping point. New study warns, was 2018 a record hot year? We don't know because of Trump's government shutdown. Overwhelming majority of Americans are now concerned about climate change. Plus, I want to challenge those companies and those decision makers into real and bold climate action. Teen climate activist shakes up World Economic Forum in Davos. All of those challenges and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The progressive political left is pushing for the Green New Deal. It would also ban cars, by the way. No, no, it wouldn't ban cars, by the way. Is there anything that Fox News will not lie about? I didn't think so. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, this is usually the time of year when you come on the air and you harangue everyone about how hot it was last year. It was a record year for heat. Not so this year? No, not this year. 2018, of course, probably was the fourth warmest year ever recorded globally, but we don't know for sure because NASA and NOAA scientists have been literally locked out from gathering climate data because of Trump's government shutdown. Well, isn't that convenient? And you know, that is also preventing other world governments from updating their weather and climate data as well. How is our shutdown keeping them from updating their data because they use our data well get your own data rest of the world don't rely on us obviously we cannot be relied upon by the way an emerging national security risk from president trump's government shutdown over funding for his border wall in a new report from the fbi agents association an fbi bomb technician warns that the shutdown is impeding the fbi's efforts to protect oil and gas pipelines from sabotage Uh oh well now they might suddenly care about the government shutdown meanwhile greenland's ice sheet is melting faster than previously thought Researchers publishing in the Proceedings of the National Academies of Sciences this week calculate that Greenland is now melting four times faster today than it was in the 1980s, and that the rate of ice melt itself is accelerating. They say Greenland's melting may have reached a tipping point and could become a major factor in sea level rise around the world within 20 years. In an interview with Peter Sinclair of ClimateCrocs.org, geologist and ice expert Luke Luke Trussell of Rowan University explains why tipping points are so crucial. The thought is that once we reach this level of warming, positive feedbacks will take over and commit the ice sheets to irreversible retreat. Loss of the Greenland ice sheet alone would raise sea levels by 23 feet. Mm. But it's not just Greenland's ice sheet that is melting. Last week, a similarly disturbing study found Antarctica's ice melt is also accelerating. And a different study finds that North America's glaciers are also melting four times faster than they did just 10 years ago.
And it's not just Greenland that might be reaching a tipping point. Two new polls published separately this week both indicate that concern about climate change has reached a new record high among Americans. Well, that's good news. An overwhelming majority of the U.S. public, more than 7 in 10 American adults, now accept the global scientific consensus that the world is warming. And the number of Americans who say the issue is personally concerning to them has spiked to 72 percent. That's nine points higher than last year. The researchers attribute that in part to catastrophic hurricanes and wildfires in the news. Seventy-two percent of Americans say that climate change is personally important to them? Yes. Wow. When the media talks about climate change, people listen. Finally, Swedish teen climate activist Greta Thunberg took a long train ride to the annual World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland this week to pressure the gathering of the world's most powerful business and political leaders to put climate change at the top of their agenda. In a video message at the conference in advance of her scheduled speech on Friday, Thunberg threw down the gauntlet and challenged global elites to take bold action. I want to challenge those companies and those decision makers to set their economic goals aside and to safeguard the future living conditions for humankind. I don't believe for one second that you will rise to that challenge, but I want to ask you all the same. I ask you to prove me wrong for the sake of your children, for the sake of your grandchildren, for the sake of life and this beautiful living planet. I don't believe they'll rise to the challenge either, but it's good that she's there calling on them to do it. Go Greta. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. Oh, she's great. She is. I love her. Love Greta Thunberg. Uh, and she's got a darling face, yes, too. Yes, she does. You can see it at bradblog.com, where we got uh, today's GNR posted, along with all of the others. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Bradblog legal contributor Ernest A. Canning, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. Missed any portion of the show? Download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. And my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate on our 15th anniversary to help us keep going another fifth well (laughs) for a while that's it until we meet again i'm brad friedman good luck world